Good morning. It's great to see you here this Good Friday. Uh, we weren't able to meet last year, and so it's great to see friends uh, over this last year and also people who we haven't met before. So great to gather together. My name's Archie, and what I want to do with you this Good Friday is look just at one sentence that Jesus uttered at about this time of year, nearly 2,000 years ago. Uh, they are ancient words. They're the last sentence that Danica just read to us. Ancient words, but they are the words that are our great hope. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can celebrate this Easter. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the words that he said. Thank you for them being recorded for us. And thank you that today we can think about them and have life by trusting in them. Amen. There are two things uh, that I would like you to take away from Jesus' words today. And I want you to take them away because it's the best news that you can possibly have. The first one is that the benefits of Easter, it's of Easter, can come only through the real and the painful acts that Jesus did. So the benefits of Easter are so much greater than you can imagine because this Easter day, this, or Good Friday, the sun's shining. It looks like the worst of COVID's over unless you live on the North Coast. It's school holidays for the children to enjoy. It's a long weekend for the parents to relax in. There's probably chocolate. And for some of you, maybe the Easter show. There is so much good that we should be thankful for. But I assume that you're here this morning because you know or at least you have a sneaking suspicion that there could be far greater benefits from Easter than just those that I have said. And I want to say to you that benefits are far greater than the holidays, than the sun, than the end of COVID, than the Easter show. Because secondly, the benefits of Easter come only through the real and painful acts of Jesus. Now, there are many acts of selfless service that people have done for the benefits of others. Here's one of them. You probably remember the story, but you probably don't remember the name of Dr. Lee Wenlang. Dr. Lee was a doctor in Wuhan who in late 2019 tried to sound the warning to his medical school colleagues about a cluster of new viral infections that could grow out of control. And you probably know that for his efforts, he was summoned in the middle of the night and reprimanded by the police and the officials. And Dr Lee, a couple of months later, they were expecting their second child in February 2020, he contracted COVID because he was treating victims of COVID. And while he was lying seriously ill in hospital, he said, after I recover, I want to return to the front line. The epidemic's still spreading and I don't want to be a deserter. And he died on the 7th of February, 2020, less than a week later. That is a selfless act that he did for the benefit of others. And yet as noble and as costly as it was, his act had no real impact on you 
and in fact really no real impact on the whole of the world. Because when we need help, we need someone who can benefit us directly. And Jesus does that. And we all have hopes for the future as well. Hopes that the situation that we are going to move into is better than the situation we're in now, that the future will be better. And sometimes those hopes are based on perhapses, on maybes and on wishful thinking. Sometimes they're just, you can't even say what they are, sometimes they're just vague and nebulous warm feelings about what the future might hold. But I want to say the best future imaginable is not just in your imagination. That future is real, it is clear, and it is made real and certain through what Jesus did in those days that created the first Easter that we're celebrating today. So what I want to say to you is, Jesus is the one who has a direct effect on you. Jesus is the one who gives you better than you could imagine. And so we need to pay attention to him. And so I want to look at just 24 words that Jesus spoke as he was walking to his own death, walking to a death that was for you and for me. And one walk and one death that opens the doorway to the best future that you could possibly have. And so those words of Jesus are recorded for us in the Bible. And there, here they are. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Be with me as we work through the sentence. For the Son of Man. Son and man are common enough words for us. But the idea son of man has a strange ring to it. But it didn't for the people that Jesus first spoke them to because the word son of man, that phrase son of man, had special meaning to them. Special meanings like the words for us Prime Minister of Australia because the Jews were waiting for the coming of a man and not just any man, a son of man. Because the Son of Man is the one whom God would give all power to. And no army, no kingdom, no government, no economic system could stand in the way of this Son of Man or overpower him. He would have all power given from the invisible God who spoke creation into existence. And yet he had all that power and he was a man. And the Jewish people knew that God would accomplish this because so often God had intervened in miraculous ways in their history through great individuals to save them from impossible odds. And now a victorious son of man is promised by God. And so for centuries, the Jewish people waited for this son of man. And now... It is Jesus who finally claims the title. And we, who live 2,000 years after Jesus, have the privilege of knowing the history of Jesus, knowing that this Son of Man is empowered not just with the power of God, 
but that he has the power of God because almost incomprehensibly, he is God who has come as a man. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew that he was the all-powerful Son of Man, the one who was waited for and waited for for so many centuries. And now he has come. And he has come to the people. They must have been holding their breath in expectation for the coming of the Son of Man. And here he is finally Because the people were slaves under a foreign power, even though they lived in their own land, and now the Son of Man has come. What is going to happen? There must have been so much excitement at his coming. But it was a slow burn coming. Things happened slowly and intensified. There was his miraculous birth that we remember at Christmas. There are a few amazing things that happened in the first 30 years of his life. And in the last three years, there was miracle upon miracle that Jesus did. He spoke with such wisdom that everyone who was around him knew that he was the Son of Man. Everyone was watching and watching expectantly. And so this slow build-up in Jesus in this coming of the Son of Man was coming to a climax as things were heating up. And so if this was a movie, you could hear the music building in intensity. The Middle East has been in the news this week, of course, with the closure and now the opening of the Suez Canal. But just to the north and just to the east of Suez is Israel, which is on this map behind you. Jesus began up in the north, around a place at the top of the map called the Sea of Galilee, which is like being in remote New South Wales. Few people cared about Galilee. But then he began a 150-kilometre walk south to the capital city called Jerusalem. You can see the pathway that Jesus probably walked there in red on the map. And as he began that walk... The question is, what's going to happen when the Son of Man comes to Jerusalem, the centre of power, and confronts the opposition of their rulers? And those who had been with Jesus for three years, who had seen his miracles, who had heard his wonderful, wise words, thought that they knew what was going to happen. They expected an instantaneous overthrow of the enemy and the creation of a new power, of a new government. And so two of those people that had been with Jesus, James and John, as they were walking to Jerusalem together with Jesus, they asked him, when you come to Jerusalem, can we please have the two senior portfolios in the government? Sounds pretty usual, doesn't it? Things like, I want to be Attorney General, he wants to be Treasurer. Because they knew that the Son of Man was coming and that victory would be soon. For the Son of Man came. And then in response comes astonishing words of Jesus to James and John and so to us. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many.
What else would the Son of Man come to do? When you have power, what do you do when you've got power? You, you, you use it to control things, to have other people do your bidding. When you have power, you use it to be served. But Jesus was not walking to Jerusalem so that he could be enthroned for his own benefit and praise. He would not use his power for that. That is astonishing. And I am sure that James and John couldn't make sense of those words. And so I suspect as James and John were gasping in unbelief, even more astonishing words are now uttered by Jesus. So not to be served is unusual words from people who have power. They are rare, but there are people who act like that. But the words that follow are completely unexpected. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Not to be served, as I said, is one thing. Humble people do that. They see themselves not as better than other people, despite their position. But this goes further. Despite being the Son of Man, despite all the power that he had, despite being God in the flesh, Jesus came to serve. In fact, he came to serve the very creatures, you and me, that he had created. I've got to say, there is no comparison that I can make that captures what Jesus came to do, but he is the best I have come up with. What Jesus did is like me making little images of people out of clay and then depriving myself of the things that I have the right to for the sake of these lifeless moulded images. Now, if you, were, if you saw your child, for example, doing things like this, you would think there is something wrong with them. But that's what Jesus did, depriving himself of things he has the right to, the expectations for, for the sake of things made out of clay. And we know that he did do this because his followers saw the fact that he came to serve in action. Because just after Jesus spoke these words, he and his followers were about to share dinner called the Passover, which is one of the great feasts in the Jewish calendars. And before they ate that meal, Jesus, their leader, got down on his knees and washed their feet. Here's an artist's impression of that event. But the painting doesn't... They wouldn't have done that. They would have had horror on their faces. Because this is Israel 2,000 years ago. No bitumen roads. The paths would have had animal droppings all over them. There would have been no antibacterial soap. In fact their feet would likely not have been washed for a long time. And so their feet would have been dirty, smelly and probably infectious. And now their acknowledged leader 
who they expected would soon rule, gets down and washes their feet. He came to serve and he showed that in the clearest possible way. So his words are matched with actions, words and actions of a real man, the son of man, on his way to Jerusalem. And if the story ended there, we would have to agree that this man was a great man, humble, a servant, caring, all of the traits of a great leader. But there is more and so much more. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you see the intensity of what has happened in just these 12 words? Not to be served. He had the right to be served. But to serve. Completely concerned for other people. And to give his life. Because you can serve people in so many different ways. But the maximum way you can serve is by giving up your life. Now, we don't know how long it took Jesus and his followers to walk that 150 kilometres to Jerusalem, but Jesus knew that as he began this walk, he was going to walk to his death. He told his disciples that, and they couldn't believe it, they couldn't understand it, so they just ignore it. But for three years, Jesus has been working to speak the words of God, to set straight a world that was broken and twisted and contorted by all the miracles that he had done. He fixed those things up. And as he was doing that, all the forces were conspiring to kill him. And so as he took each footstep down to Jerusalem, and my guess is it's about a third of a million steps he took, every step he knew was a step closer to his death. And when he reached his destination, when he got to Jerusalem, he was killed in the most horrible way imaginable. The way he died is very significant. Again, here is another, cap another painting that captures a little bit of what occurred. You can see Jesus there in the middle, dying on a cross. A cross made of wood. A cross made from a tree. And Jesus and all of those who were looking at the spectacle that was going on knew that God had said, Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. You see, Jesus knew and they all knew that Jesus wasn't just gasping his last breath. That death wasn't just that but that he was going to die under the terrible judgment and curse of God the Father. Die under the curse of God, who he had always had perfect and close relationship with. Cursed as anyone who hangs on a tree. And yet this all-powerful Son of Man came to give his life at a cost that I can't even begin to imagine. And so we have to be left wondering, why did he do it? 
He didn't have to go to Jerusalem. At any point in those third of a million steps, he could have turned around and not borne the curse of God. Some, I am sure, would say what Jesus did was insanity. Insane for a person to knowingly surrender their lives for clay images. But Jesus explains why he didn't turn around and why, in fact, he was not insane. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There is a very clear trouble. You only pay a ransom when people are captive and in danger. You ransom hostages from threatened execution. You ransom children of wealthy people threatened with torture. And Jesus came to ransom people, and ransom people who didn't even know the danger that they were in, because every human being shares this state of captivity, and we don't even know it. We share, we don't know it because everybody's in the same state, so we look around us and we say everything's okay. We don't realise that we are captives because what the future holds, the danger of the future, is actually still something in the future. But you see, we make our decisions by ourselves. Like Eleanor said in the kids' talk, we put the crown on ourselves. We make the decisions and so we ignore God. And when we do that, we don't just make ourselves the king. We sell ourselves to be owned by the devil. And the devil's intention over time is to destroy us creatures of God because we are created by God. But Jesus, God the Son, came to surrender his life on that cross to pay the ransom so that we might be liberated and that we might not have that terrible future. That we don't realise our desperate plight doesn't change the fact that we need a ransom. Jesus, the Son of Man, came to ransom. What a man, what a saviour. I spoke of Dr. Lee, who did great things for others at the cost of his life. And we do recognise that as noble as what he did was, he didn't directly affect you. But Jesus' sacrifice of his life does affect every one of us here today and every one of us online. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For any, in fact. The ransom that defeats the devil, the ransom that satisfies the justice of God, is for anyone and for everyone. In any age, be it 33 AD, be it 2021 AD, in any place, no corner of this world is untouched by the ransom that Jesus paid. And for any person, 
no matter what you have done. See, some of you are unaware that you were owned by the devil. Others of you think, I am too far gone to be ransomed. Jesus is your ransom. Remember that song that we sang to start with? Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. He is our only hope. And he is the complete answer to our capture. Some of you are probably thinking, how dare I proclaim that Jesus is your only hope and he is the complete answer. It is such a big claim, but I can proclaim it and proclaim it thankfully to us all because three days after Jesus lay stone cold dead on the Friday as a ransom for many, he rose again on the Sunday. Death was defeated on the Sunday. Not just that Jesus' death was defeated, but all death because the power of the devil was broken. And so the end of the story, you need to hear. Come back on Sunday and hear what Josh says as he says another, as he talks about another sentence spoken by Jesus, spoken this time not on his way to death, but after he is gloriously risen from the dead. Repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. In Jesus, here is the great news for us all. Here is the man who is feeling that weight of coming to die under the curse of God so that we might be ransomed. In him is complete forgiveness. So turn to him and ask for that forgiveness. I said the benefits of Easter are so much greater than you can imagine. And the benefits come only through the real and painful act of the death of Jesus. You cannot ignore him. You need to thank God for what Jesus did. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Our Lord God, we want to say thank you that in those third of a million steps, Jesus didn't turn around. And though the death is more scary than any death that we could imagine for ourselves, for as he hung there, he hung under the curse of God, we thank you that in his kind death for us, he ransomed us so that we might have forgiveness. Please, Heavenly Father, enable us to keep growing in our trust in what he has done for us and enable us to give our lives to him who died for us and was raised again. Amen.